Ever since I was a kid, I was always seeking something extraordinary. I knew that there was more to life than just the 3D reality. On psychedelics, you see the source code. You see so much deeper into reality. It shows you what is your highest potential. Like here is the purest love. Here is the the most enlightened state. And then we come back down to earth. Now we have like a north star that we can follow and try and find our way back to that place of love. If you're connected to the guidance from within and to God and to your own heart, can you really pick up a weapon and go shoot someone in another country? Right? It's only through our disconnection with ourselves that we are allowing ourselves to be manipulated into doing other things that are violent. But when you love yourself, when you are in touch with your divinity and you're also in touch with the unity of the planet, you know you cannot hurt anyone because you're just hurting yourself. If everyone's connected to love and to their heart, then you can't rule them. Welcome to the Staying Free podcast. In this episode, I spoke with James Zander. James is a podcast host, psychedelic explorer, and consciousness seeker. He's also the host of the James Zander Trip, where he has deep discussions with guests around psychedelics, spirit consciousness, love, and the nature of reality. So this episode came about quite synchronistically. I had been wanting to do an episode on psychedelics for a little while, and it just so happened that last year I met James um, just by chance in a cafe in Mexico. And at that time, I didn't really know that he was into all this psychedelic stuff until I saw on Instagram that he was putting out these videos of his new podcast going into all these ideas. I quickly became a big fan of the podcast myself. And so James seemed like the perfect person for me to invite on this podcast to have my first full-length discussion about psychedelics. I know that this conversation is definitely far more on the kind of esoteric side of things compared to the conversations that I normally have. But I do think that these ideas are important to explore. And I also think that they tie in very neatly into the idea of freedom and in particular with regards to spiritual freedom and healing trauma and really freeing your mind from conventional ways of thinking, which I think is going to be a really crucial part of actually moving into this next stage of the freedom movement. If you enjoyed the episode, please give it a like and a share on social media. If you're enjoying the podcast so far, remember to give it a five-star rating in whichever podcast app you're using. If you're new here, then welcome. Be sure to hit subscribe for future episodes. And I invite all my listeners to join the Telegram group where I post all the episodes and invite people to have conversation there as well. The link for that is in the show notes. And also in the show notes is all the links for giving donations to the podcast. There's a few ways to support the show there, including monthly donations, one-off donations, and Bitcoin donations. So please do check out those links and consider donating to the show. As always, donations are hugely appreciated and will help me to keep bringing these episodes to you. All right, on to the episode. So yeah, man. Thanks for joining. Like, uh, yeah, like I said to you before, before we started this recording, um, super excited to get into all this stuff. Been loving the, the podcast you've been doing. Uh, we'll get into all that kind of stuff, but just first of all, do you want to give my listeners just a bit of an intro as to yourself? I guess probably before the, before the psychedelic stage, and then, uh, you know, we'll go into all, all of the, the psychedelic stuff and, and everything you've been up to there. Mm, yeah. Before the psychedelic stage, I was an entrepreneur, I was also a filmmaker. I loved uh, photography, creating music videos. Um, after I discovered psychedelics, that's where my fascination became about the nature of reality and consciousness. And I connected deeper to my spirit. So these days, I, I run a podcast around spirituality and psychedelics called The James Zander Trip. 
Um, I have a YouTube channel where I teach people about uh, psychedelics, like educational material, like how they can do it intentionally, how they can do it safely. And then there's the One Billion Humans mission, which is let's get a billion people on the planet to all take shrooms on the same day and see what happens to the planet's frequency. Okay, cool. Yeah, nice and nice and succinct intro there. Um, yeah, I guess like just for for my listening audience as well, because obviously like you know, the, you coming on this this podcast is kind of uh, goes back a little while because we actually met here in Mexico um, just by chance. So obviously, you know, I've been kind of super into into your podcast and stuff since then. But initially, you know, we just met in a cafe. I can't remember the name of the cafe, but it was in um, Playa del Carmen, right? And, uh, you know, you'd come out of Canada and we're kind of, you know, fleeing some of the tyranny going on there. I was, I'd done the same from the UK and then we met at this cafe and just got chatting and it turned out that we, you know, we were both into kind of like editing and film and all this kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, I, I guess like you mentioned there about your, um, I guess your, your more like entrepreneurial journey and stuff kind of before doing, doing what you're doing now. Um, how does that go? Cause I don't know too much about that. I don't think we, we've discussed that between us. Yeah. So my entrepreneurial journey has been really interesting. I had a lot of highs, a lot of lows. Um, I used to uh, publish books on Amazon. So that was my main business and then did really well with that. And then Amazon shut down my account and I ended up losing the business overnight. And then because of my scarcity mindset, I then also ended up losing my entire net worth that I had built from that business. And that sent me into a depression. And that's where I discovered mushrooms and they kind of took me out of that depression slowly. So my entrepreneurial journey has had a lot of roller coaster ups and downs. Um, but I've always had the entrepreneurial spirit, you know, and I feel like any anyone who is someone who who loves freedom, someone who loves the freedom lifestyle, someone who wants to be a master of their own destiny, they do end up on the entrepreneurial path. I'm sure you've also felt the same. Yeah, 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 for sure. I, I didn't know that actually, that um, that your entrepreneurial path, well, I didn't know, know much about it anyway, but yeah, I guess that ties straight into the psychedelic stuff. So let's let's uh, let's start diving into it because, you know, I, I said to you before, I mean, I know we have like two hours here max, but there's so much to, to discuss. And, you know, in terms of this topic of psychedelics, like I've mentioned it a few times on the pod, like occasionally there's just been these little conversations that have happened about it, but I haven't had any just like full conversations about psych psychedelics and, and, and how it like kind of marries in with ideas of like self-sovereignty as well and freedom and, you know, purpose and all of these stuff that these other kind of concepts that we talk about. So let's start there then. Your um, intro to psychedelics was kind of off the back of a, of coming out of a depression or you were in a depression. So yeah, do you want to tell that, tell that story? Yeah. So I think I've always been interested in reality. And ever since I was a kid, I was always seeking something extraordinary. I knew that there was more to life than just the 3D reality, like the, so the solid, tangible stuff you see. Um, and so I would read spiritual books and I would, I would explore different avenues of spirituality, but I never had that firsthand experience, that proof that I was seeking, you know, of like, show me, show me a UFO, give me a out of body experience, you know, like show me some sort of proof that reality is not just 3D. And I think psychedelics was the first time where it really opened up for me. And so my very first experience was with acid. And it was an amazing, beautiful experience because it showed me that my consciousness could be shifted, that I was still James, I was still me. But the perspective that I was looking at the world from was entirely different. It was from a higher level. 
And then, of course, you get the visuals, you see frequency, you see energy. And that, to me, was incredibly cool because finally I was seeing energy. You know, everything that everyone talks about in the books and all the gurus and all the teachers, and I was finally seeing actual frequency, actual energy. I was seeing the source code behind reality. And so it just became a fascination of going down the rabbit hole. And and the other thing about psychedelics is I always feel like they show you more of the truth of reality. So in your sober state, we kind of get not manipulated, but we we become asleep to the reality of life. We just go with the motions. We accept things as they're presented to us. But on psychedelics, you see the source code. You see so much deeper into reality. And I feel like there are truth tellers. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're already, you're already going, going deep into the psychedelic stuff. And I, 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 I want to go there, but I just want to like, first of all, preface this with your, um, how if the, the specifically the depression thing, right. Mm-hmm. Um, and you kind of going through that depression and then, and then finding the psychedelics, um, yeah. like, because obviously before that, right. You, you didn't really have much of a, um, you know, I guess much of an understanding of it. This was new, just like it is for everyone. Right. I mean, and you know, kind of disclaimer here, I'm not like a huge psychonaut, but I've experimented with psychedelics as well. And everything you just said, like rings absolutely true. And anyone who's done psychedelics is probably kind of listening to this being like, man, you're articulating this like beautifully. It's exactly what it's like. But before having that experience, you obviously, you know, you were going through this depression. You hadn't had any, um, I guess exposure to that. So first of all, what was it that brought you to psychedelics? And then how did psychedelics kind of help you through that um, specifically through that kind of um, ordeal in your life? Mm. What brought me to psychedelics was, I think, pure synchronicity. You know, like I was in the right circle of friends who were into that and they introduced me to that. And I remember I was super nervous, you know, going like I remember the very first time, even before the acid, my friend gave me a THC edible, very small okay. dose, you know, nothing crazy. But I was like, what is this going to do to me? Like I was I was nervous as fuck. Um, how did it help with my depression? I think the way that it it helped me was it showed me there was more to life than when you're depressed, you're very myopic. So you only think about your regrets and your past and how you could have done things better. And why me? Why this? You kind of go into a victim mindset. And when I started doing shrooms, what it would do is it would, it would give me the zoomed out version of my life. And it would show me that this is just one point in my life. And there's not, there's not this, um, you're not stuck in the maze. It actually shows you the whole maze. And that gives you hope. It also starts rewiring your brain. You start thinking, okay, there's more to life than this one moment where I feel like I failed. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's almost like, um, you know, just kind of piggybacking on what you're saying there. Like, for me, I think that, that experience it's almost kind of like a zooming out. It's like zooming out and recognizing your own insignificance in some way, but it's kind of the, it's kind of your insignificance, but also your ultimate significance. There's kind of these two parallels happening at the same time. It's like you zoom out and realize, oh, well, all of my worries are completely insignificant, but actually the, the essence that is you is massively significant, you know, like kind of overwhelmingly significant in some sense. Yeah. I think it puts things in perspective. So the psychedelics don't care about how much money you lost, <laughs> which business you lost. They care about how connected are you to your authentic self? How in alignment with your truth are you? And 
I call them truth tellers because they're going to shine a flashlight in your psyche on what you most need to work on. And it's usually not money. (laughs) It's usually self-love. It's usually healing some traumas. Um, The other cool thing that mushrooms do for me is they show me visions of my future that if I was to step into my most authentic self, my most courageous self, I could become this. I could do this. And so they kind of paint this picture for me of my future. And then they give me homework of what I should do to reach, to step into my greatness, to step into the next evolution of myself. And that's super exciting. For sure, for sure. So so going into that, I, I guess it probably wasn't the TH, uh, did you say it was the, was it THC or what was the first one? The first, the I wouldn't consider it a psychedelic. It was, it was just a, a weed edible and it was a ah, tiny dose. Okay. And okay, okay, yeah. So that wasn't a significant one. So I guess fast forwarding from there to your first significant psychedelic experience. Can you share that with us? For sure. Yeah. So there was the acid experience, which was um, amazing. It was my first proper psychedelic experience. Me and a friend went camping. And I mean, nature is the perfect environment to do this in because you're so connected to nature. And I remember it started raining lightly and every single drop of rain felt like music on the leaves. Like your perceptions are just so attuned. It's incredible. And there was a funny moment where I saw a slug on the ground and I would, I crouched down and I was like communicating with the slug for 10 minutes and just looking at it and thinking what it's doing is the most important thing to it. Like, I never really realized that before. Like uh, every single ant and creature on the planet, what it's doing is the most important thing to it. Just like what you think you're doing is the most important thing to you. And that level of empathy and that level of connection with other creatures, I feel like that was a an amazing moment. And the other thing that happened on that acid trip is I just realized how many layers we're all wearing. The, the personality we present to the world, it's mostly just a bunch of layers. Um, there is a core truth behind that. And I feel like what psychedelics help me do is each time I do them, more of the masks come off, more of the layers come off. And so I'm able to show up and be seen as just James rather than James with a layer on top. Yeah, I think that one of the things which, you know, people who who haven't done psychedelics, who haven't had that experience, they might think, you know, they might see someone who's who's tripping on acid or something. And like you said, you know, you can imagine a bystander just looking in and seeing you just like crouching down, watching a slug for 10 minutes, right? And they and they would think like either this guy has just kind of completely lost his mind or or at the very best they'd say, okay, well, he's tripping, but you know, he's not seeing reality, he's seeing a fiction, he's seeing some kind of, you know, his perception is wrong. Like it's an incorrect perception of the world that you're experiencing, right? But you know, you know, as well as I do that when you're on, when you're on a trip, like when you're on an acid trip, like you, you, that reality for you is the most real reality. Like you feel like you are seeing, it's almost like kind of, you know, putting on a pair of glasses and seeing in higher focus, you know, it's like seeing in, it's like seeing everything in HD for the first time, you know, um, is it, would that be how you describe the same thing? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Everything is sharper. It's more beautiful. It's more, you see more detail in everything. And I love what she mentioned. It's like, it feels more real than reality. It feels like, like reality is, um, almost like 
not to overwhelm our brain, we only see a tiny, tiny fraction of the frequencies available to us. And I feel like when we do acid or shrooms or DMT, it opens you up to the whole range of frequencies. And so like for me, DMT, you asked about some of my most powerful, profound experiences. DMT was the first time I did DMT was life-changing because Mm -hmm. I had been looking for something like DMT all my life to show me more of the truth of reality. And it was like what we're talking about, the frequency and the energy that I wanted some sort of proof, but I never had the proof. And I remember the first time I took a a hit of DMT, it was actually from a vape pen. So quite a gentle trip, uh, nothing crazy. DMT vape pens, guys, it's it's next level. (laughs) And so I, I take a hit and you just see reality morph in front of you, but you feel like you're looking into the source code of reality. And it's it's indescribable. It's it's uh, it's amazing. I mean, can you can you try though? I mean, DMT is something that I've I've never I've never tried DMT. I want to, but um, yeah, I just haven't really had the opportunity yet. But uh, maybe you'll kind of push me over the edge to make it happen. If you can, if you can describe that experience, that'd be awesome. The best way I can describe it is, you realize you're in a hologram or some sort of simulation. And that your body is part of it, your consciousness is part of it, that your consciousness is not localized in your body, but it's actually the entire hologram. And so all you're doing in your day-to-day life is you're just interacting with yourself. And it kind of sounds nuts when you say it when you're sober, but on DMT, it's so clear. Um, The other thing on DMT is you, you see frequency. It's like, I remember looking at my phone and it became into this holographic 3D display and I could see all the layers of all the pixels. And I was playing music at the time and the little Spotify uh, ticker started slowing down. Like time was literally stretching. And like when you experience things like that, you realize, wow, there's so much more to reality than, than I could imagine, the amount of mystery. And that was just a small DMT trip. That was like a hybrid experience. So you're still here. You're still in reality, but it looks different. A full-on DMT trip, you're gone. You're not even on this plane anymore. Like the room disappears, everyone disappears. It's just you and your consciousness. So, Wow, it's literally like a direct experience of your own consciousness. It also feels like dying. Like on a full-on DMT trip, it feels like you have died to your body. But if death was the most beautiful thing in the world. Mm -hmm. And it kind of removes the fear of death because you realize, oh, I'm still conscious. My body is gone. My, my, this is so crazy. So the first time I did the first uh, full on DMT trip, I asked my friend who was trip sitting, should I keep my eyes open or closed? Cause it makes a difference on shrooms. And he said, it doesn't matter with DMT. I said, what do you mean? It doesn't matter. He's like, keep them open. So I keep them open. He brings the pipe closer to me. He lights it up. I take a huge, uh, a, a good inhale and the room literally explodes into a million little Minecraft pixels and I'm, I'm gone. I'm in this other world and I blink and I can feel my eyelashes touching my face, but nothing changes in my vision. Like I'm already seeing that other world. And then within five more seconds, even the eyelashes are gone. My hands are gone. My, my body's gone. And, and then also you feel that pure love It feels like a coming home. It feels like you've been there before. This is something I, I've talked to other people about it and they, they feel it too. It's like that deja vu of like, oh, I've been here. Yeah, yeah. This feels familiar. Even with my very first trip, which I know I've never done DMT before, even with the very first trip, I'm like, oh, I've definitely done this before. 
in some lifetime. I've connected with this realm of existence. Yep. I, I've had the same thing on acid. I've had the same thing on acid. I felt like the, the first time I did it, that wasn't the feeling I got. So the first time I did acid, I did about one type of acid and it was probably, you know, like, I think that that's like, obviously I'm not giving, <laughs> giving advice to people here, but like, I certainly for me, that was a good amount to kind of give me a pretty good trip, but without going like so far that you were, you were losing yourself, you know, that you were like, what, what is reality? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I did it like after that, I think it might've been like maybe my third trip and I did like two tabs and that, you know, you, you really, you really go somewhere there. And, and that time I got exactly that similar feeling. It was like, I had been there before and you mentioned before as well, when you were describing it, you said that it's almost as if you're interacting with yourself. The entire world is, is, is one big interaction with yourself. And that is also the feeling that I, that I had the sensation or the kind of, yeah, I guess the, the experience that I had was, it was almost like, I, I couldn't tell what, what was me and what wasn't me. It was like, everything was just in this goo of, is it me or, or isn't it me? There was a complete not non-separation there. Yeah. You know, I've also similarly had, um, experiences where I can look at something which I think is a kind of non-natural object, like a rock or a shell or something. And it seems just, I can't tell whether that thing is any more or less alive than something which is objectively alive. There seems wow. to be a a liveliness that comes to inanimate objects, or they they seem to have their own their own kind of sense of being, which doesn't avail itself to me when I'm not in the trip. It's almost like everything becomes some kind of a living object. Even my even my phone, I can look at my phone and be like, "This looks like a living object. It looks like a weird alien living object, but it's still living. It's still got some kind of." a some kind of a conscious quality to it have you have you had that a hundred percent yeah and i feel like so i i see two ways of looking at it one is the scientific way that if you look at the core part of each object whether it's inanimate or animate it's all made of atoms so if you think an atom is alive then it actually makes sense that your phone is alive your table is alive the rocks are alive and then the other way i see it is if you think of life as made up of um just pure energy, so your whole hologram is made of energy, then anything that shows up in that hologram, whether it's a phone or an animal or a human um, or uh, a tree, it all has an energy to it. So yeah, I definitely feel what you described. Okay. So yeah, you said before about, um, we've kind of gone from that initial like acid trip. I don't think you've actually mentioned your first uh, mushroom trip yet. So do you mind going into that one? My first mushroom trip wasn't super profound. It was at a festival. So the environment wasn't necessarily the most intentional um, because for me, there was too much energy, too many people. And so it was a quite a strange experience where I didn't quite know mm-hmm. um, if I was having a good trip or, or an iffy trip. Um, and I don't really remember the next time I did shrooms, but I, I remember the moment I started doing shrooms alone and it was just me and me and there was no other energies, that's where I was able to go super deep. And it was more intentional. It connected me so deep to the cosmos. And yeah, so I would say environment for me has been really key. And also the people I'm doing it with. Like these days, I tend to do trips solo, just because I feel like you can really let go and dive into your own consciousness without having to, you know, look after other people or make sure that the environment is safe. Um, Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 
I don't think I've done I don't think I've done one solo yet, but uh yeah, I can imagine I can imagine why that would be awesome. But you mentioned about set and set and setting. Like this is one of the really important things as well, because like I think that from an outsider's perspective, it's like these kind of things like, oh, you know, you go to a festival, you go to some big event and you know, there's all of this crazy going going on. I've never done it in that environment and I've always felt like that wouldn't be the right the right place to do it. I think that these experiences really should be more you know, obviously I'm not going to prescribe how people should do it because everyone's going to find their own, own way. But for me, it's more of an introspective, um, like experience. I think that like having a place where you can contemplate is super important for this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's the intention and maybe like a, t- a small, tiny dose. Like if someone just wants to have a little bit more fun and that's their intention, I just want to be entertained. Then it makes sense. You could do it at a festival, but I feel like for those who are seeking something deeper from the plants, they're seeking guidance, they're seeking help then it's probably not the right environment. And I would say do it alone or with a trusted friend, with a trip sitter, in your own space, in your own home, something that feels really comfortable to you. Because when, you, when you're at a festival, you have so many energies around you coming in and out. And what I find on shrooms, I'm so sensitive to energy. And so, and you perceive people differently on shrooms. So you might perceive their energy. Um, you might feel more awkward around someone than you would in sober life, you know? So it really people set and setting, I think are, are really important. So just kind of like turning it around a little bit, you know, like one of the, the reasons that a lot of people will be afraid to, to try psychedelics, you know, and to try to actually experiment with them would be that they, you know, are afraid of having like a bad trip, I guess. Can you, first of all, like, can you maybe speak to some of the bad trips that you've actually had in your in your um, kind of experiences with psychedelics and also like how you contextualize a bad a bad trip more broadly speaking yeah i I believe a bad trip is just a rough trip. There's nothing inherently bad in it other than the meaning we ascribe to it, and most bad trips for me have come from bad environment or the wrong people in my environment so It's never been the shrooms themselves. And I think that's a really key point is that when you do these plants, you build a relationship with them. You build a certain trust with them. And so I've never felt betrayed by shrooms. It's always just been something I haven't done on my end, like like tripping in the wrong environment or tripping with people that you have complicated relationships with. I think that's that's really um, like, for example, I wouldn't recommend anyone trip with their ex. Because all the tensions and all the all the relationship problems will come up in the trip. You're you're tripping with another energy. All of that is going to get mixed into it. Um, yeah, bad trips for me. I mean, most of my trips have been really good, to be honest. Okay. And the few times where it's gone sideways, it was either wrong setting, or wrong people, or I freaked out for no reason. So, for example, one time I was tripping with friends. And the fire alarm went off in their apartment building. And, you know, it's like you're so sensitive to sound, you feel like, oh, my God, there might be a real fire. So what I always recommend to people and always also to myself is when something seems to go sideways, do nothing. Like, don't run around. Don't panic. Just surrender to the moment. Because more often than not, you're not in any danger. And it's you yourself creating the suffering and creating the panic. Dude, I, I really wish that I'd had that advice uh, before I had my bad trip. You know, I mean, I call it a bad trip because it's just, you know, it's, it's the, the easiest way to just to term it, basically. 
I do think that now looking back on it, it was, it definitely had, it definitely had utility in my life. Like I did learn from it and I actually feel like there was aspects of it that were great, but the, the trip started off really, really bad. Basically I had a, uh, think, you know, like sometimes you're, you're, well, I mean, always your perception is, is off. You have kind of things go wrong and things, you know, things that you can't quite figure out or whatever it is, but I kind of got essentially scared by it. You know, like I, uh, I had an experience of, I went into the the kitchen and was just trying to get like a glass of water. Right. And I was like, you know, I would, I would bring the, I would kind of put the glass on the side and then I went to go and get like the ice. And I was like, Oh wait, the, the ice straw is already open. And then, you know, I go back to the glass and I'm like, Oh, the ice is already in the glass. I'm like, okay, so that's ready to go. I go to the, the tap and I'm like, the tap's already running, you know? And then I'm like, Oh, okay, forget it. Like this kind of was going round and round in circles. And I was like, all I wanted to do is just make a glass of water. And I was like there for, you know, probably like 10 minutes. And I couldn't tell like, was the tap on or off? I like my perception was off. And then I was thinking, okay, well, if the, if the tap's on, like, is it going to flood? Like I, I can't quite trust my own perception that the tap's off. And I started kind of getting, you know, basically this, this anxiety overcame me. Right. And I think that ultimately what maybe happened is I may have had some kind of like anxiety attack, which sent me down like a really bad path. I ultimately kind of recovered from it. Like, um, later on and I actually had an experience of what I, I literally, I literally thought like I'd seen it, you know, I'd seen it, whatever it is, I thought I'd seen it. And, um, and I'd had the experience of, of like pure source or whatever it is. Mm. Um, now looking back, I, I'm not sure whether I would necessarily contextualize it in that way. Like, I think that, I think that looking back on it, it's, you have that experience, but there's something about what's real in that world is, is real in that world. And what's real in this world is real in this world. Does that, does that make, make sense? <laughs> it's almost like it is real when you're in it and when you're having the experience of it, but when you're out of the experience of it, it's no longer real. It, it kind of like, I know that that's not reality as it is, but when I'm in it, it is reality. Am I, am I making sense here? Or am I just speaking words? No, no. I, I think both are real and you're tuning into different frequencies, different planes of existence. So right. in that moment, when you felt enlightened, you connected with something real in that state. But ultimately, when you come back down to planet Earth, you also connect with this groundedness, yeah. you know? That's and, exactly and so, it. yeah. And we, unfortunately, it seems like we can't really bring it back to planet Earth, at least not right away. The way I see it is like it's a North Star. So it's like you, the shrooms show you what is, um, or the acid, it shows you what is your highest potential, like here is the purest love. Here is the the most enlightened state, and then we come back down to earth. Now we have like a, a lighthouse, like a north star that we can follow, and try and find our way back to that place of love. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, and, and you said just there, like unfortunately we can't bring it back, but I'm not sure that it's unfortunately. Like I think that actually wit witnessing and experiencing that contrast, it, it kind of is a part of it's almost like we have, if we were experiencing true bliss and ecstasy all of the time, then we wouldn't know the black and white, right? Like we wouldn't know the up and down, the light and the the dark, et cetera. It's almost like we can have a glimpse of it. We can have a, a glimpse behind the curtain, but then we have to kind of come back here. Cause if you have it all the time, then it wouldn't be bliss. It wouldn't be, you know, it would just be, it would just be gray. It would just be gray all the time. Right. But in order to have these uh, contrasting experience, which ultimately kind of make life what it is, y yeah. you know, it has to be a peek behind the curtain and not just kind of like stepping in and, and staying there. Right. One way I like to think of it is if life is a video game, when you have that enlightened state, it's like you're going into God mode 
and you can see all the controls in the video game and you feel like you can control the whole game. But ultimately, you came for the single player avatar experience. So when you go back into your video game avatar, you encounter limitations, but they're there designed by you, designed by your higher self, because your higher self probably wanted you to experience um, a more limited version rather than this god mode, a more interesting storyline as an avatar. That is a really good way. Yeah, I've never heard that before, but that, yeah, that's so true. You know, it is like going into God mode, but then the fun in life ultimately is kind of from knowing what, knowing that the God world exists, but still operating your day-to-day life and, you know, recognizing, okay, well, there's challenges and there's this and there's that. But like, yeah, if you were there in God mode all the time, then like, you know, what fun would that be? And I think the reason why DMT has been so powerful for me and, and shrooms and ayahuasca is you get to connect to that God mode for... Um, six hours, eight hours, and you learn all these lessons about what it's like to operate from that level. And then you come back down to the avatar level. And now you're like, okay, I have homework to do, you know? Mm -hmm. So just going back, like going back into your your own story a bit, like how was this, um, how did, you know, your friends and family and stuff kind of, how did they take it when you were, you were going into this, you know, into this psychedelic stuff and you were experimenting and everything? Because you know, when you, when you first do, do psychedelics, you kind of want to tell everyone about it. You kind of want to tell all your friends and all your family, but you know, and you think everyone's going to be like, Oh really? You know, you, 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 you achieved <laughs> enlightenment through psychedelics and you think everyone's going to be high-fiving you. And then you realize that actually people are like, you know, they're nervous about it and they're, you know, they have questions and they're, they're skeptical, et cetera. So like, how was that, how was that for you kind of going through this, you know, this psychedelic kind of turning point in your life? Like how did those relationships evolve? Hmm. I don't think my parents are a fan of my explorations. Um, in terms of friends, I just started gravitating towards people who are more, more on that path. So, you know, when you meet someone like yourself who has done psychedelics, there's just a, a connection there. You've both experienced that realm and you're off, you're starting on the same page. So I've learned not to, not to preach to anyone, not to try to teach anyone. It's like if someone is ready for it, they've already done it themselves or they're on the path, then I engage in the psychedelic conversation. Um, Mm -hmm. But what's ended up happening over the years is that most of my friends now, it just so happens that they're all into this in in some level of degree. Maybe they're not like their whole life doesn't revolve around it, but they, they all get it. And that's the best thing is when you have a tribe of people who they just get you, they get what you're all about. You don't have to explain, you don't have to justify why it's good or why it's not bad. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, that's one of the interesting things about, um, you know, stuff like DMT and, you know, acid. I mean, I haven't done, I've done, actually, I have done shrooms, but I've done very, very mild shrooms. So I couldn't speak to a full like psilocybin experience, but certainly for like acid and, and, uh, DMT as well. Like there's a universal language there, right? Like you, you can sit next to anyone from whatever culture and whatever background, and you both, you both drop some acid and start looking at stuff and you're going to have similar perceptions going to see the world in similar ways and i imagine it with something like dmt that's even more so you're literally going into you're you're peeling back all of reality whatever it is and then you're seeing something completely different but it doesn't matter what your culture is you're seeing similar stuff i mean or or am i or Mm -hmm. am i speaking too soon on that maybe maybe people do see see different different things do you know whether like a hindu let's say who does dmt sees things different to like a christian or something Mm, that's a great question I intuitively feel like people will see their beliefs will color what they see. So someone who's mm-hmm. like super Christian 
might end up interpreting the data that they're receiving on DMT as angels and as um, the Christian God, you know, versus someone who is of another religion will experience the same data, but they'll convert it into their language. Um, okay. So I do think it's quite individual. Uh, but but there's probably a shared aspect between all trips, which is that deep love, that deep connection. So no matter what people call it and how they interpret it, they do feel that deep, deep connection with something divine, even though they might call it different things. And what about you? What would you call it? Like, how would you describe that, um, that connection, that experience, that yeah like whatever it is that that you that you see there that you experience there you know i mean I, like i don't want to call it like a religious experience but yeah how how do you consider that in your own life it's i'm not religious in the traditional sense but it has been a religious experience it's like when i go on these trips it's like going to church <laughs> it's like going to psychedelic church and uh and it's it's funny cuz i used to call i i used to use the name source and now I've started switching to just calling it God, you know, it's like, why, why be afraid of a label just because some other people put baggage on it? To me, God is God, you know, and it's like, you, you just get it on a cellular level. Um, the other thing that I keep getting on the shrooms and the ayahuasca and other psychedelics is that we are also pieces of God. So when you're connecting with God, you are in a sense connecting with yourself because of that unity, because we're all one. Yeah. Do you yeah. also, have you also experienced that, that unity? I mean, yeah, definitely have. I mean, it's just, I guess the struggle that I have with, um, you know, certainly, I mean, for me, it was really, there was one psychedelic trip, which was way, way head and shoulders above the, the others in terms of the actual like depth of the experience. And in that experience, I would say, I would say that like, I struggled with the idea that I was having an experience, which was almost like experiencing myself um, as everything and there being kind of no separation there. As I was kind of coming out of it, I was like, well, what does this mean? Like, are these people, are, are they me? Like, you know, it was almost like, how do I, like, if everybody has the experience of complete unity, as in I am everything and everything is me, how can that be true for everybody? How can it not only be true for one person? Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? And I think that's one of my bigger questions is how can you have this experience that literally everything is a part of you, Yeah. you know, and, but all, but you know, they're not, you know, that everyone else has their own subject, subjective experience. And for them, everything is a part of them. Well, here's, here's a metaphor. Imagine one of your fingers started tripping on DMT and it connected to the whole body. And for 10 glorious minutes, your finger felt like it was the whole body. And then it came back down to earth and realized, oh, I'm, I'm just a finger. And then yeah, your I other guess. finger started doing the same thing and also connected <laughs> to the whole body. So both, both fingers are experiencing the unity and they're both uniquely separate. But in some sense, they're also connected to the whole body. I feel like that, that right. might explain how we can all connect to that unity and yet all have our own individual little holograms. That's yeah, that's a really good way of describing it. Yeah, I, I guess these are these are some of the questions that I hope to go deeper into, you know, kind of going like further down into into like experimenting with psychedelics. But yeah, for now that like it's a profound experience that's really difficult to describe. And, you know, I think that probably if if people are listening who haven't tried psychedelics, this conversation might seem 
really, really weird. Like what the hell are these guys talking about? But for someone who's, who has experimented with psychedelics, they're probably like, they're articulating it completely. You know, they're asking all the same questions and having all the same kind of insights that, that I've had, you know, like it, it brings about, because it is so profound and there is no kind of language to actually communicate the experience itself. It's like language is, it's almost like language is a layer below the experience. So mm-hmm. you can, you can try to make metaphors about the experience, but you can't actually tackle it directly. You know, language won't d- directly be able to explain the experience. You have to have the experience to explain it, right? A hundred percent. I remember doing DMT, the one of my most profound trips ever, and coming back and journaling about it and writing as much detail as I could. And then over time, I realized when I would tell the story of that DMT trip, I was referring more and more to my notes and I was losing touch with the actual experience because the actual experience kind of fades away like a dream. So then all you have is the words that you translated. And yeah, yeah that's just one of the the aspects, I guess. Of- yeah, 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 yeah. You know, um, man, I, do, just a, a total side note, when, when, we're, when we're talking about this stuff, do you almost feel like you're you're going back there a little bit? Like you're getting almost like flashbacks just when you have the conversations. There's something, there's some connection there that you're like ah you know i'm touching it again because what you just said there that that completely rings rings true for me you know when i've had like intentional psychedelic experiences one of the things i often do is like i'm going into it i'm like oh you know what like i want to listen to this piece of music on it i want to i want to go in and listen to this piece of music because it's going to sound amazing or you know i want to go in and i want to read this or i want to read that quote or whatever it is and then once i'm in the experience that all seems so wrong and that all seemed like everything that i've written down not wrong but it just seems so insignificant it's like well you're in the experience what more could you want you're in the experience all this stuff you've written down about you want to try it doesn't matter you could just be you could just be sat on a chair doing absolutely nothing and you'll have just as good an experience as if you're listening to a crazy piece of music or whatever like the experience itself is what you're there for and all of your preconceptions about how you want it to be how you want it to go you know like that all kind of goes out the window the experience guides you and if you try to guide it like i think that's where you maybe take a wrong path when you when you're trying to be too you know being intentional is good but trying to force it like force a certain experience oh i want a certain insight it's going to teach you a lesson, right? Like it teaches you, you don't teach it. <laughs> yeah. I always tell people go with no expectations. Even, even myself, I've had, you know, dozens and dozens of incredible trips, but every time I do a new trip, no expectations. I have no idea if I'm going to get cool visuals, if I'm going to feel enlightened, if I'm going to feel, and I just let go. And I think that surrender aspect is also important. Going with the right. flow of the trip, not trying to prescribe how the trip should go. Um, so what I'll do usually in my trips is I'll have, uh, like a four hour to six hour mix of music that kind of keeps me, keeps me grounded, keep me, keeps me flowing, but everything else, I leave it up to the universe and I I might have an intention too. That's also important. So music and then like a key intention, like, what do I want to learn? What do I want to work on? And sometimes it's quite broad. Sometimes it's, um, show me what I most need to know. Show me what I most need to learn about myself. So it can be as general as you want. And I feel like those two things, uh, and plus the good environment, basically that's all you need. Um, and then just amazing insights and downloads come up, and things you couldn't predict. And yeah, can you go into like some of those those insights? You know, like I guess just more like tangible insights that you've actually had. Yeah, well, you know, the one billion humans mission came out directly from my ayahuasca experience. 
Okay, let's go into the, I, I do want to talk about the 1 billion human stuff. So let's talk about the, the Ayahuasca experience for now. And yes. then if you if it's cool with you, we'll loop back to the one the one billion humans. For sure, stuff. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah, because I want to hear all about the ayahuasca experience. So if they're inseparable, then just like go for it. But yeah, I, I really want to know about this experience. Ayahuasca was one of the most profound trips for me. The deepest, the most soul affirming. I'm so, so happy I did it. And it, it came about in a very synchronistic way. I was in Canada. I got the ping that I should go to Bali. This was actually on shrooms. The shrooms kept telling me, you got to go to Bali. <laughs> so I'm okay. like, okay, we're leaving Canada. Bali's closed to the whole world at the time. So I'm like, which country is open? Mexico was open, which is how we met. And, yeah. and later on in Mexico, I meet another friend and he's doing ayahuasca in 10 days. And he's done it with his shaman 10 times before. So I'm like, wow, if, if you trust your shaman, you know, to do it 10 times, then that seems like a trustworthy person. And I'd always wanted to do it, but I never, I never specifically sought it out. And here it was finding me. And so, so we go to the, the shaman. It's like a Wait, little this group. This is in Bali after you left Mexico? No, this was in Mexico city. Oh, you did it. In, oh, I didn't know you did it in Mexico. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. I, I really wanted to do it somewhere in South America because the plant is indigenous to that region of the world. And so I wanted to do it with a shaman who was indigenous. I wanted to do it somewhere either in Mexico or Peru or Guatemala. And so I was really happy. I don't that I think it's, I don't think it's indigenous here though, is it? Mexico, Mexico is still North America. I think, I think oh, they yeah. bring it, I think they bring it up, but a lot of the shamans are from uh, mm -hmm. like Peru and I think even Colombia and stuff like that, they have them. But yeah, I, yeah I, I'm not entirely sure, but I know there's a lot of, there's a lot of, like a lot of people come to Mexico to do it. And I know like a bunch of people who have done it here. So and yeah, even around Mexico City, apparently, is a great place. And, you know, I do think they have a tradition of it as well. Like, I think, I, I think the Aztecs and the Mayans might have mm. been into that kind of stuff, or at least some kind of psychedelic stuff. So, yeah, there's certainly a history. But, yeah, sorry, go on. Yeah, like, for me, the integrity of the shaman was the most important. And you kind of just feel it out when you meet someone. You understand, do I want this person guiding my trip? What is their energy mm -hmm. like? And I felt really good about the shaman and... Um, you know, the first two hours of the, the trip, I thought I had made a huge mistake because I felt so much grief, so much raw emotion was coming up. I was like, wow, if this is going to be this for the next eight hours, I'm not going to survive tonight. It was a lot and so much more intense than I anticipated. I mean, I knew it was going to be intense, but my God, this was next level. And then I remembered my shroom trips and with shrooms, I'm sure you can relate. There's like an arc to a trip. It might start off a little dodgy. Then you find your wings, then you're soaring, then you're gliding, and then you like come back down to earth. So mm -hmm. I thought maybe this is the dodgy part. Maybe the intense grief and sadness I'm feeling, this is part of the trip and I got to experience it and I'm going to stay calm, even though it's really hard. I had a little notebook. I was like scribbling words just to keep myself grounded. Um, and then it started switching. It started flowing into a more happy place. And something interesting happened. I wanted to go back to the raw place of grief. I was like, wait, that was interesting. So in the grief, get me out, get me out of this. I don't want to feel this. This is too much. As soon as I started getting out of it, I'm like, wait, I've never felt raw grief like that. And that was important. I was connecting with maybe my inner child, maybe some traumas, maybe some wounds that needed to be felt that had not been felt for years and years. 
And so then from that point on, it turned from what I thought was going to be maybe my worst trip into one of the best trips of my life. Yeah. And the amount of downloads I got was, was insane. So it's not just one night, right? Like it's a series of nights. That, you, that, that you one do. in particular was one night. So okay, it, was one night. it depends which retreat or which shaman you go with. Sometimes they do like, let's say four in a row. So you're there for the whole mm-hmm. weekend. But the one I went to was one night, uh, you start at 10 p.m., you end at around 5 a.m., and then in the morning you wake up and you have a little sharing circle, and, and then that's it, which was fine by me. I, I, after one trip, I was like, wow, this is, <laughs> this is all I need. <laughs> this is amazing. And yeah, I guess like after that initial experience where you, you were having the grief, et cetera, and you, you went into that more elevated um, phase of the trip. Mm-hmm. What what was that like for you? What were the actual insights you were getting? What were the visuals? I mean, I don't really know that much about ayahuasca other than everyone describes it as being like the mo- you know normally the most profound experience of their life. But yeah, yeah, what is it? What is it like if you can try to describe the? I guess yeah, what you're seeing and and what you're feeling, etc. I'll describe it, but before I do, I want to say that I did two other ceremonies after the first one with a different shaman. And I have to say every single journey has been so unique and so different, Mm. which really surprised me because with shrooms, you kind of see a pattern to it and with acid as well. But with ayahuasca, it was like getting three different PhDs from Plant Medicine University, (laughs) like completely different lessons, completely different visuals. So my experience, what I'm going to describe might not fit, you know, what what someone else might experience. For me, that first ceremony was more emotional than visual. I was actually really surprised. There was not as many visuals as even on shrooms, but it was so emotional. I felt like I was, my heart was being opened. I was connecting to self-love. A lot of things around my purpose were coming up. Like, why am I here on this planet? What am I here to do? And I think that ties back to my intention. Because when I went into that first journey, I had a very specific intention around purpose. I wanted to know what I came here to do. And you never, when you ask these things of the plant medicine, you should never expect a specific answer because it might give you some other thing to work on. But the cool thing with Aya is that not only did it give me exactly specific answers around what I'm here to do, but then also gave me other surprising insights around my life. Um, a lot of it around self-love, a lot of it around purpose. Um, like the podcast I started also came out of that uh, I'd always wanted to do one, but I felt like ayahuasca cleared the blocks, cleared the the limiting beliefs I had, and allowed me to step into that. Um, it also gave me a lot of like it like in reinvigorated my my um, my connection with life. Yeah, yeah, nice. So, if you're a regular listener to the show, then you might remember a recent episode that I did with Alex Zek which was episode 46 called The Viral Myth and Evolving Beyond the Paradigm of Deception. So if you haven't listened to that episode, I really recommend you go and check it out. We talk about a lot of interesting ideas regarding virology and illness and how we can take control over our own health. And more recently, someone from Alex's team got in touch with me about an educational event that they're going to be doing, which I definitely think is going to interest a lot of you guys. So it's called The End of COVID and it's an online education designed for the way in which we consume content today. Similar to a podcast, they've recorded over 100 hours of interviews, presentations, and conversations with prominent voices from the likes of David Icke, Kelly Brogan, Amanda Vollmer, Tom Cohen, Andrew Kaufman, 
Christian Northrup, and many, many more. This event launches on July the 11th. I had a look through the program and as well as these very prominent guests, a few that jumped out to me were Alex Zek himself, Jesse Zurawell and Patrick Henningsen from TNT Radio, Dr. Melissa Sell, Nick Hudson and Etienne de la Bote Squared. So if this sounds like something that interests you, please do use my referral link. That's theendofcovid.com slash ref slash 606. That's theendofcovid.com slash ref slash 606. That will be in the show notes anyway. And on that website, you can check out all about it. There's a trailer there. There's a bunch of information. You can see all the speakers and see what the event's about. And if you do decide that this is going to be a value for you and you end up signing up to get access to the program, please do use my referral code and that will help to support my content as well. All right, back to the episode. What do you think about the actual nature of having these plants interact with the human mind in the way that they do. Like every time I think about that concept, it just kind of blows my mind. Like the idea that these plants seem to kind of interoperate with our consciousness in some way. Like, yeah. How deeply have you thought about that? That's a great question. I have no idea how they, how they cooperate other than it feels like they take your intelligence and their own intelligence and they combine the two. So it's almost like when I do, any plant medicine, it feels like it scans my entire brain and it gets all the data it knows about me, every single shadowy aspect, every single light aspect, all the BS I'm not looking at, all the things, all my potential. And then it applies its own intelligence um, to my life and shows me my life from a broader point of view. So it's like I was talking about this with a friend. It's almost like chat GPT. So you are the prompt. The plant medicine is Chad GPT. It's applying its knowledge to your prompt, to you, and that outputs certain advice. And then it's like a dialogue between you and the plants. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a dialogue between you and the plants, but it also is a dialogue with yourself. Yeah. And this is the thing. Sometimes I can't tell where one begins and one starts. There are mushroom trips where I feel like I'm mostly just talking with my own subconscious. And which is amazing. It's super helpful. And there's other trips yeah. where I distinctly feel like there's this other energy helping me, guiding me. Ah, interesting. And okay. Yeah. I don't know what the, like, I haven't cracked the code on the mechanics of it, other than yeah. both of them are really helpful and, and really beautiful. Yeah. I mean, certainly for me with like my acid experiences, like I've definitely felt like that is an experience I'm having of something deep within myself. I'm having an experience of my own consciousness in some way. And the deeper I go into it, I, it's almost like, you know, um, it, it's, it's almost like experientially it's feels to me similar to, you know, if you've ever kind of had a mirror in front of you and had a mirror behind you, you know, like if you're in the hairdressers or something and they, they you know, they, they show you a mirror and then you see the mirror through the other mirror. And then you kind of see that it's infinite, you know, like, and at a certain point it's like, well, there's just a tunnel of mirrors that's just going on infinitely. I would describe acid and the experience of your consciousness similar to that, where it's just like an infinite kind of fractal of mirrors, basically. Like, you know, oh, you are everything. Everything is you. You're reflecting everything. Everything's kind of being reflected back. And yeah, like, and, and, and every action that you take as well. I mean, this was one of my experiences was like the smallest action, you know, moving my, moving my arm, moving my, moving my head, looking at something, whatever it is, it was all part of this kind of wider tapestry where that was the only possible action. It was like the perfect action. Everything was kind of preordained for that action. Like the whole, the whole history of the universe had, you know, 
led up to this moment of me putting my pen on the table kind of thing. You know, that's the kind of experience, you know, that I've had on acid. I I don't know if you've had similar experiences like that as well. You know what you remind me of? There's this quote by Alan Watts. I think it was Alan Watts. He talks about the Big Bang. And we think of the Big Bang as something that happened. But Alan Watts was saying that, no, it's still happening. You are the little tendril at the end of the Big Bang. Yeah. yeah Aliens yeah. of years later, you are still happening and the Big Bang is still happening. And I that kind of blew my mind. He kind of made this metaphor as like if you throw a can of paint at the wall and that's the Big Bang, that's the explosion on the wall. But then all the little tendrils of paint that are coming down the wall, that's you billions of years later. Yeah, it's all part of the same event, right? Yeah, I mean, it reminds me, actually, that reminded me of another thing that Alan Watts, um, I heard him say where he was kind of describing the nature of like reality. And, you know, he obviously talks a lot about you and the universe being inseparable. And one of the examples that, that he gave in one of his lectures was like, if you have a spider web and it's got, you know, like when it's, um, we call it dew. I don't know if it, is that an English word, dew? When you have like the the kind of like wet, you know, in the morning yeah, yeah, you get yeah. dew uh-huh. and it's like the kind of wetness um on the spider's web and if it's a cold morning you'll see this you'll see all these kind of like tiny little um droplets of water basically on the spider's web and each each one of these droplets is reflecting the rest of the spider's web right but if if one of them bursts if one of these droplets you know drops it affects the reflection in all of the others right so that one has kind of been lost as a point of consciousness but every single other one has reflected it so they're all kind of inseparable in some in some way because everything is reflecting everything else so as soon as one goes that's changed everything like it everything is just uh, a reflection of everything else essentially and these kind of concepts that seem weird to talk about in, in waking life they really like have a kind of profound depth to them when you thoughts always seem to go in that direction at least for me it seems to steer itself to these ideas of like you know what is what is life? What is the universe? What is existence? Like, you know, all of these questions suddenly become like so interesting, but you almost feel like you're getting some answers to them, but without necessarily trying to sit down and, you know, do it intellectually. It's just the pure experience of the answers to those questions. I love what you say about the the spider web. To me, it reminds of, uh, reminds me of the ripples that we all create in each other's lives. Every single thing we do, whether it's kind or unkind, it's sending out ripples into the universe and it always comes back to you because it's your hologram. So, you know, whatever energy you send out, it comes back to you. And Mm -hmm. it's so apparent on the shrooms and on acid of how everything is connected and not one single event is out of order. It's all somehow linked to another event. It's linked to your energy. There's all these synchronicities running through it. Um, I like what Robert Edward Grant talks about synchronicity as it's just the patterns of life that when we're in them, it feels like random. But when we zoom out, you actually see there's a macro pattern to the universe. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's totally true. Um, I was going to mention, actually, I don't know if you've seen this um, documentary on Netflix. It's called A Trip to Infinity. Have you seen it? No. Man, you got to watch this documentary. Like it's this, um, this film actually kind of, it goes into the nature of infinity as a concept. And it kind of tries to like describe infinity through essentially kind of like graphical representations. So it's all like kind of motion graphics and stuff. And it's got a few interviews and talking heads. And then it'll go into these like, you know, 
really amazing like graphical representations of the nature of infinity and when you watch this like it really is like a trip it really is like a trip i mean you know it's um it's awesome and i definitely think that like when i was watching it i was like i feel like i'm tripping <laughs> you know mm. okay, um, so cool. yeah it check it out recommended so um you know you mentioned before about integration and like how you integrate the how you integrate the trip right it's not just about kind of going and just having experience and then kind of walking away from it being like oh that was fun how do you how do you integrate properly your experiences and yeah can you speak to that for a bit yeah so on the trips i'll get insights around my life and where i need to be going and what i need to be working on and oftentimes i'll get specific action steps from the shrooms that tell me like oh i need to go and make amends with this person i need to go apologize to this person i need to uh, connect with this person and so the homework becomes when i'm back on on, on the planet, planet Earth, the homework then becomes to execute on those action steps. Um, the other way that it shows up is that, I think we talked about this, like on the shrooms, I see a vision of who I could be if I was more authentic and more courageous. And when I come back down to Earth, it's figuring out how can I, how can I achieve that? How can I hold that state? Um, so like a, a, a good example, I think, is, is the podcast that I do because I never wanted to be on camera like when I was growing up and I was camera shy and, and I guess it, it stemmed from a fear of being seen. And of course, the thing you're afraid of, the universe is going to circle back to you and put you in the exact position to work on that. And so, you know, through shrooms and through ayahuasca, I started seeing that, okay, if I want to have an impact on planet earth, I need to allow myself to be seen and I need to, allow myself to be filmed. And so, so then the homework becomes the integration becomes actually doing the work, you know, actually making your first YouTube video, making your first podcast, doing the thing that scares you a little bit, but now you've seen, you've gotten this validation from the shrooms or from Aya that tells you that it's possible that something good is going to come out of this. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm glad that it gave you that experience because yeah, the, the pod is really great. We'll, we'll get into it. Um, we'll get into it in, in a little bit but um but yeah i, I think you know it, it kind of it checks your ego right like it checks yeah. your ego and and you know some people might think oh well you know you want to be on on camera you want to be heard all the time like you must have have like a big ego but for a lot of people it's the opposite like they don't you know you don't want to be on camera and you don't want to be uh, listened to because you're like well i don't want i don't want to be judged for what i say you know i want everyone to like me and you know if i put myself out there what if i say the wrong thing etc like i don't think there's actually any relationship there like between like you know some people okay for sure you might get some egotistical people who go oh you know i want to be an influencer i want to be a youtuber whatever it is you know just for the sake of it you know i've not got anything really to give i just want to be known i want to be famous but you know it's, it's not necessarily the case some people you know they they like they're having conversations they like talking and stuff like you know me doing this i just love having conversations with people like interesting conversations i love the way that it allows me to like connect to a community i love the way that you know it brings people into my life you know who i might never have met before you know and it, and it kind of it, it offers a lot in that respect but you know like you said sometimes what what might look egotistical is actually the opposite of it. it's actually letting go of caring about what people think about you and just going okay like i'm just going to go into this i'm just going to have conversations and you know do what i want to do and not feel like i'm kind of guarding myself from the world yeah so i always like to look at it as 
the 3D is the symbolism, but what is the meaning behind it? So let's say I'm on camera. That's the 3D symbol. But the actual meaning is, am I allowing myself to be authentic? Or when I show up on camera, am I wearing a mask? Right? And and so I always like to go a few layers deep of what is the actual journey for the soul? How is this training my soul? Um, so for me personally, it's it's the being seen aspect, allowing other people to see me as I am. It's also finding one's voice, right? So oftentimes because of past traumas or failures, we dim our own light and we we say, okay, I'm just going to be in my little corner. I'm not going to interact with the world. I'm just going to do my own thing. And life doesn't really reward that. Life kind of likes to see you step out of your comfort zone and create more positive ripples in your entire hologram, not just in your own little personal hologram. And yeah, so I, I feel like always looking at the meaning behind the symbol of what someone is doing. Yeah, I totally agree with that, man. It's yeah, a lot a lot of the time I think that that people are really, really scared of of actually kind of like taking taking risks and taking chances and stuff in, in life and just feeling like oh, I've got to, you know, I've kind of got got to do what's what's within the norm and what's kind of accepted and not go too far out of that. But actually like, you know, from everyone that I know in my experience of the world and stuff, I, I just think I like people who actually go, No, I'm not gonna just stay where it's comfortable. I'm gonna like I'm gonna have like different experiences you know i'm not going to be afraid to do that and i'm going to kind of like seek truth in my life and seek meaning and stuff like normally you find it right you know i mean i just think that i just think if if it's not that you find it like this perfect you know thing that you might have had a, a preconceived notion of but it's more just like you're gonna like over time go through life and just have so many ex more experiences that just kind of guide you to where you're going to be right and personally, I think it likes, I think that psychedelics is, is part of that. And it can be a, it can be the catalyst that allows people to actually kind of go into that and to kind of have the courage to, to go into that space. Let me ask you, do you feel like there's a destiny path for each individual? <sighs> That's a good question, man. Um, yeah, I think there is, but then there's a part of me that also thinks that is it possible to not live your destiny? I'm not sure that's possible either. So I'm not sure I believe like, you know, if people like they're on the deathbed and like, oh, you know, I should have been a whatever. I wanted to be an actress or whatever it is. I'm not sure like if they didn't do it, it wasn't their destiny. So I think that there is a destiny, but it's whatever like, it's whatever it is. It's whatever you're experiencing. That is your destiny. Now you can kind of, you can do different things through your life that would maybe change how that emerges but whatever you live i do believe that is ultimately a destiny what about, what about you what do you think i feel like there's this higher the highest destiny path so it's the thing that if you were to achieve your highest potential and that is your destiny and life is trying to guide you towards that but ultimately okay. we have total free will so if we choose not to go there we will have a different experience and ultimately there is no right or wrong but I feel like what I experienced from psychedelics is I'm constantly being shown the better version of myself. And it's it's like this, this beam of light sort of guiding me to step more and more into my higher destiny path. That's awesome. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Do you, do you feel like that is a um, that is a way of looking at the world that has come to you through psychedelics? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. For sure. It's funny that you say that actually, because I was going to, I was going to touch back on like the, the kind of good and good and bad trip stuff. 
is that I've kind of had these experiences before, like on psychedelics, where I know they say don't look in it. I don't know if you heed this advice or not, but like you've probably heard the advice, like don't look in a mirror when you're on acid. Uh-huh, uh-huh. You ever done it? I've done it on shrooms. Okay, right, yeah. Uh, well, I, I'm interested to know what your experience was with that because for me, I basically saw myself off oscillate between the kind of most disgusting, ugly, like worst possible version of myself and like pure divine what I would, it, it was almost like, see, it was almost like seeing a kind of Christ-like figure and then it was oscillating towards like an ultimate evil. But it was oscillating literally by the second. It was like, I couldn't quite capture the exact moment, but it was going from these two extreme levels. And that was almost like a, a reflection of, you know, this, this trip can be what you want. You can go into the, you know, this, have this arc of like beauty or if you go down a bad tunnel, you know, you get anxious, you follow like bad thoughts, et cetera. You're going to go to like the evil side. And it's, it was almost like a visual, visual kind of representation of that. Um, and yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe like going into these, these trips with the right intention that is showing you, okay, what is it to be the most pure, beautiful form of yourself? But I also think that it can show you the worst of yourself as well. I'm interested to know what you think about that. Yeah. It has shown me the shadowy aspects of myself as well, but always with love. Um, I feel like it's showing me all of my BS. Like these are the parts of you that you don't want to look at and you're going to look at it, especially ayahuasca is amazing at doing that. It's like the ultimate um, teacher of calling you out on your BS and just showing you everything that you promised you would do, but you didn't everything that um, like all of your shadowy aspects. And I, and I feel like, it's done in love. It's done to wake you up to that. Yes, there are these aspects of you that are not, that are not, let's say pure light and that we are all part of, you know, we have the dark, we have the light. Ultimately we have the free will to, to go in which direction we want to go in. Um, yeah. 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 I, I mean, I, I guess like, yeah. Ultimately, like the interpretations are so vast that you can have from these experiences. It's kind of hard to just like narrow down to one because you, you know, literally all of these interpretations are kind of like possible at the same time. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. And I, and I feel like they're always guiding me to personal growth. So whether it's showing me the light aspects of myself or the shadow aspects, it's all done in service of training my soul and have given me some sort of lessons, some sort of wisdom. What do you think have been the most important learnings that you've had if you were to distill them down, like that, that you've actually come to through psychedelics? Mm. Definitely. So one powerful lesson I learned recently was, was the surrender aspect, surrendering to life. That when things are going sideways, and it feels like everything's going wrong, surrender to that flow because you never know it might actually turn out to be a good thing in the end. Mm -hmm. um, another big lesson I think is connecting more with my power. You know, we are the directors of our life. And in a victim mindset or a depressed mindset, we often choose to to say, no, I'm not the director. Things are happening to me. Um, people are doing this and that to me. But 
the psychedelics have always reminded me to claim that, claim your own power, claim, claim the director hat, you know, and be like, okay, I am creating all of this. What is the next best step in my life that I can do? And then the, the love aspect. I feel like this is universal across all the plants, um, all the plant medicines is connecting with love, realizing that all it is, everything you're doing is for love whether it's to get closer to loving yourself or getting closer to loving other people or opening your heart to the whole world. Yeah. So now that we've kind of, you know, uh, discussed like all these positive benefits uh, of these, uh, you know, plant medicines and stuff, like the reality on the ground is very different, right? Like they're basically banned in pretty much every country. I mean, I don't even know what the legality here is of doing like ayahuasca and stuff. I cer certainly like the government don't seem to like it. And I've heard that, you know, they've arrested people for, for, for doing it and stuff. It seems kind of crazy that like something that's been used historically, it's been used like for thousands of years in tribes and everything that is, you know, a personal experience has only effect on yourself and generally very positive effects for people who actually do it in the right, under the right circumstances. And yet, like, they're basically illegal pretty much everywhere. Like, mm. how do you think about that? Do you think, do you just think it's kind of, you know, hubris, ignorance, or, you know, do you think there's something darker at play there? I think it's absurd. I think it's absurd to ban plants for personal use, um, especially plants that have so many benefits for our consciousness and for our psyche and for becoming a better human being. So I'm not sure if there's like a dark conspiracy or something that is preventing, um, that is banning these substances. It could just be ignorance. It could be a mix of both. Um, I like this quote by Terrence McKenna. I think I shared it with you before. Um, uh, so Terrence McKenna has this amazing quote, which goes like this. Psychedelics are illegal, not because a loving government is concerned that you may jump out of a third story window, they're illegal because they dissolve opinion structures and culturally laid down models of behavior and information processing. They open you up to the possibility that everything you know is wrong. And so like I've noticed through my own psychedelic use, how much more I think for myself and how much more sovereign I've become. Right. And probably governments don't want millions of people connecting deeply with their soul and getting guidance from themselves. They probably like it when people turn to an outside authority uh, because then they're easier to control. And the other thing that psychedelics do is they dissolve fear. They're really good at dissolving fears. But the thing is, if a population is not in some level of fear, uh, it's harder to control. You want the population to be mildly stressed out and mildly afraid every moment of every day so you can easily sway them. If everyone's connected to love and to their heart, then they don't, then you can't rule them because they're fine without you. So that's sort of where I, where I, where I see it. I saw a documentary once. I wish I could remember the name of it. I think, I don't know who the original guys were, but there was these original like psychedelics guys back in, I think it was the sixties or something. One of them was Timothy Leary, I think. Mm. And there was, there was another two or three. And one of them, I can't remember which it was, had this idea that he was like, he wanted to basically um, contaminate the water of like world leaders, you know, like the White House and stuff like that. He wanted to like contaminate it with, um, with like acid. 
so that they would like trip and like hopefully you know he wanted to like raise the consciousness of like um governments and the people and stuff and he wanted to basically like turn everyone on and be like okay you know we can avoid nuclear i think at this time it was the the whole kind of communism capitalism thing and there was the the russia and america kind of like cold war stuff going on and he always like turned on the whole world have you heard much about this story i've heard bits and pieces of it yeah 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 it's a super interesting story i, I yeah i wish that i could i could uh, name the documentary now but like that is kind of how you feel right like the first, especially the first time you do psychedelics you're just like you want the whole world to like know you want the whole world to understand you're like oh my god there's this depth that nobody there's this there's this door that people aren't opening you know mm-hmm. and, it, and it's right there and it's like available to us yeah i think i definitely would love it if more of the world experienced psychedelics but they have to do it from their own their own desire to do it right if, if someone just contaminates the water <laughs> with acid I don't think people will have the experience <laughs> that you want them to have. I think they're going to have a yeah. very scared experience and it's going to turn them off psychedelics for the rest of their yeah. life. <laughs> I'm not going to, I'm not going to advocate for that one personally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but if you do it with education and you say, look, these are just some of the tools available to you. You don't need to use them. You could do breath work. You could do meditation. You could go do yoga in Nepal, you know, or in India, you can, you can connect with the divine and with yourself through various ways, but here is a tool that is proven to work really well for most people, yeah. uh, whether yeah. it's MDMA therapy or ayahuasca or like these are things that um, they work. And, and, and of course, I would love it if more people were educated about it. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I agree with you, but I'm just not convinced that I'm, I think you could spend your lifetime meditating you know Mm. in a cave alone i'm just not sure that you will ever you will ever come close to like a full-on psychedelic experience maybe i'm being maybe i'm being a bit like unfair there but it's just i just don't see how it can get there like do you really think you can get to the same the same level of consciousness Mm -hmm. i wonder about that i haven't personally i've met some people who claim to be able to go on these vision adventures during their meditations that are similar to ayahuasca. Okay. But I'm, I sort of agree with you in the sense that I feel like, look, there is these tools available to you. You may as well try them and use them. And, but yeah, for, for me, meditation, I'm not, I'm not an expert in meditation, so I can't say I've experienced something like that. When I, what I experienced in ayahuasca and DMT, I can't imagine experiencing it through another through a, yeah. through meditation but perhaps it's possible yeah. yeah all right man let's uh let's talk about let's talk about the the podcast first before mm. we get into the into the one billion um what's it called the one billion humans mission is that one, one billion humans mission yeah okay let's let's talk about the pub first first of all I love your pod, man. Like, it's really, really good. I, I'm not just saying that because you're a friend. Like, I I started, I didn't even know you were doing a podcast. And then I started seeing, like, the videos you were putting on Instagram. And at first, I thought that you were maybe promoting for someone else's thing. I wasn't just quite sure what was going on. And then I was like, oh, man, like, this is this is your podcast. And yeah, I've listened to all the episodes. And yeah, it's, it's awesome, man. It's kind of um, brought me back around to, you know, this psychedelic stuff, which previously, you know, I've, I kind of go in and out of having um, a lot of interest in. Like sometimes I'm really interested in it and sometimes I'm like, oh yeah, I haven't really thought about it in a while. But after listening to your podcast, it, it just really got me hyped for this this whole thing because, you know, your conversations are awesome. You're definitely a natural at it. So whatever the, the ayahuasca told you about, like you should do a podcast, like it nailed it. <laughs> Amazing. I'm so happy to hear that. Thank you. 
Yeah, man. So just uh, feel free to, you know, let my listeners know what it's all about, what you're trying to achieve with the podcast, you know, what are the kind of conversations that you're having? Um, you know, hopefully it'll be of interest to some of my listeners as well. Yeah. So I run a podcast called The James Zander Trip. <laughs> and if the, Love name... the name, by the way, I like that. I yeah, really like not... the name. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. So yeah, it's a, it's a trip. And in my podcast, the topics I go into with my guests is spirituality, mindset, personal growth, and the golden thread is usually psychedelics. So with every guest, I bring up their experiences with mushrooms, their experiences with ayahuasca. Um, and the goal is not just to talk about quote unquote drugs. It's to talk about how psychedelics can bring us closer to our soul, how they can open up our heart. Because I deeply believe that the the deeper we can connect with ourselves, the deeper we can connect to others. You can only relate to someone as deeply as you've gone into your own psyche. And for me, psychedelics have been so impactful in opening my heart, in overcoming depression, in putting me on my, my highest destiny path. And so I love having these deep, deep conversations with people around spirituality, psychedelics, mindset, also, there's a little bit of entrepreneurship that I mix into it because it's something I'm also passionate about. And so it's a mix of the 3D and the 5D and kind of ties into the mission of let's educate more people around psychedelics and let's inspire people to do it intentionally, to do it safely and to to have fun with it, to to learn something, to grow from it. So that ties nicely into the One Billion Humans mission. So what is the One Billion Humans mission? The One Billion Humans mission is let's get one billion people on the planet connected with their hearts, connected to plant medicine, educated about psychedelics, and let's get one billion people to take mushrooms on the same day, at the same time, worldwide, and see what happens to the planet's frequency, because I think something crazy will happen if we actually pull it off. <laughs> <laughs> this could either be like the best thing ever, or it could just be the plot of, you know, like a Hollywood movie, like a disaster movie, like planes, planes falling out of the sky. Like. <laughs> well, I should say no one who's flying a plane should be part of this mission. At least <laughs> but I feel like, yeah. okay, I'm imagining the next morning you go to get your coffee and you look around and you're like, were you part of the 1 billion? Did you do mushrooms last night? <laughs> you know, it could be really fun. Yeah, well, millions of a lot of people as well. That's it. You've, I like how you've set the bar that high. You know, like probably, I don't know what the record is for the most people tripping at the same time, but it's probably like, I don't know, in one place, maybe like a festival of like 100,000 people, but you've gone straight to a billion. You've, you've, you've skipped like, you've skipped the million, <laughs> you've skipped the 10 million. You're just like, no, straight for broke. <laughs> I think... If one in eight people were to connect uh, to plant medicine regularly and intentionally, it would just be a whole different world. So we don't need eight billion yeah. people to do it, but we we need a shift. We need a some sort of a majority of the population to not even a majority, but just the one eighth of the planet. If 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 there's enough momentum and there's enough people that start doing this, I truly feel like it'll be a different world. Yeah. Um, for example, if you're connected to the guidance from within and to God and to your own heart, can you really pick up a weapon and go shoot someone in another country? Mm -hmm. Right. It's only through our disconnection with ourselves that we are allowing ourselves to be manipulated 
into yeah. doing other things that are violent. But when you love yourself, when you are in touch with your divinity, you know, and you're also in touch with the unity of the planet, the unity of your hologram, you know, you cannot hurt anyone because you're just hurting yourself. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, I have to talk about the, the inception of the One Billion Humans mission because I feel like it's so important. Yeah, please do. When I was doing ayahuasca, that very first trip, and I was feeling grief around my life, but I was also feeling grief around the division that was happening around the world at the time. That you had, you know, governments pitting one group of people against another. You had restrictions. You had lockdowns. You had people with varying opinions about the same thing. And I felt like, I felt so much grief around it because we're all one family on one planet. And how can it be that, uh, whether it's the governments or people themselves, how can we, how can it be that we've disconnected from each other so much that we're calling one group of people names and the other group of people is calling the other group names. And, and so I asked mother Aya, the plant energy, I said, what can we do to unite the planet? Because books don't work unless you're ready for them. Gurus don't work. A politician, a leader, not going to work. What is actually going to make a difference? And I got this clear download that, well, what worked for you? What connected you to yourself? And it was the plant medicine. And so mm-hmm. from that, I, I think on the ayahuasca, everything is so heightened. So I think that's why I went straight to a billion <laughs> because I was like, okay, just imagine for a second if a billion people experience the benefits of mushrooms the way that I experienced it in their own individual way, with their own journey with it, with their own healing, how different would the planet be? Mm -hmm. And it just like the vision of it was so strong and so powerful that I I was like, I have to do this. And, and it's a lifelong mission. And, you know, we're going to start with, you know, 10,000 people and then work our way up to a million. And then hopefully one day, the whole planet. I also feel like it's inevitable. I feel like if we're going to move into the 5D consciousness and we're going to move into closer connection with ourselves and with God, it will happen eventually. Whether it's in my lifetime or past my lifetime, eventually everyone will know the truth. Everyone will know the truth about themselves, the truth about their connection with God, the truth about their connection with the cosmos. And I feel like psychedelics will play a huge role in that, but I'm also open to other, you know, other tools helping along the way. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Yeah, I mean, the mission sounds great, dude. Like, I, I think that <laughs> if you can get one one billion people to do this, that's gonna be uh, that's gonna be amazing. But just the idea of everyone doing this thing together, I love it. You know, like the idea that, like you said, people just sharing this experience together, because it's mm-hmm. almost like you know, sometimes if you're on a trip and you have a few people like in a room or whatever, you do feel like you, you share that you have this kind of depth, you have like an understanding between you. Obviously, sometimes it can go the other way. Sometimes it doesn't feel right, but you know, it does have, have that. And if the whole world is there, like in that same space, you know, you could, you could unite a lot of people through that. So I think they're doing these like synchronized trips. It's got something to it. I think Mm -hmm. it's also the group intention. So imagine not just tripping for the sake of tripping, but let's say we all hold the intention of love or the intention of raising the consciousness of humanity if you have a billion people holding the same intention for six hours or eight hours in a heightened state i cannot imagine how that would influence life i mean i've seen crazy synchronicities and manifestations happen in my life after a powerful shroom trip 
So if you have a billion people manifesting that on such mm-hmm. a scale, wow. Maybe that's what the plant medicines are leading us to, right? Maybe one at a time, they're, they're like picking people off. You'll meet someone and they'll be like, hey, you know what? The plant told me like to be part of this one billion humans thing. And before you know it, it's a, it's a thing. <laughs> they definitely have their own agenda, but I feel like it's a very benevolent agenda. <laughs> well, I've heard, with, I've heard with ayahuasca, I yeah. listened to a, a podcast with someone who done ayahuasca and they said on that podcast, and I don't know whether you agree or disagree with this, they basically said that when they had this ayahuasca experience, that Mother Ayahuasca said to them basically like, you know, people shouldn't be doing this so like negligently. People shouldn't kind of all be jumping on the on the bandwagon and doing it like this is a sacred experience and people are kind of misusing it and that, that you know, that there's not enough of this world or whatever to give to everyone and that people need to do it like properly and with intention. And when the Ayahuasca comes to you as well, like they should be drawn to it rather than just going and ticking it off their travel bucket list, right? I 100% agree. And that's why for the 1 billion humans mission, I'm primarily focused on mushrooms because I feel like they're the safest, friendliest substances uh, in the plant medicine world. And you can also do a very low dose of them. So you don't have to go crazy. Um, Whereas with ayahuasca, I do think that um, you should only do it if you're called. It's a very intense experience. I personally have benefited from it a lot but I would never prescribe it to, to a billion people without proper preparation and integration. How do you know if you're called? I'm trying to figure this out at the moment. I, I, like if I've been called, is the fact that I'm asking you if I've been called, does that indicate that I have not been called? No, I think if you're curious about it and you feel like you could benefit from it and you're ready to experience it, mm-hmm. then that's enough. And you're yeah. ready. But let's say, let's say the, the person who's not called is like if you phone your mom up and you're like, mom, you have to go do ayahuasca now. And she's like, what are you talking about? Well, she's not called to it, <laughs> clearly. Yes. But if you're right. curious and you, you're like, you know, I know there's something in this for me. And I've and let's say you've been feeling it for years. Like for me, I've been feeling the ayahuasca call, kind of low level call for years. And it was just such an obvious thing for me to, I'm so glad I did shrooms though first. I'm so glad that I prepared myself with the acid experiences and the shrooms and the DMT because I feel like if I had just done ayahuasca as my first ever experience, I would have, uh, I would have panicked a little bit. Right. Okay. All right. That's, that's the advice I needed then. Cause yeah, I haven't, I haven't, I mean, yeah, I haven't tried like psilocybin basically like the shrooms that I did was pretty, it was, they were pretty mild. So maybe Mm -hmm. I need to, maybe I need to kind of like take that next step up before kind of going full, going full ayahuasca, basically. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll message you about that, man. I'm going to get your advice on this. You can, <laughs> you can be my, uh, what do you call them? Like the, the, the plant, the, the people who, like the, the trip plant pharmacologist people. What are they called? <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know what they're called. Uh, <sighs> yeah. The plant shaman, the shroom wizard. You can be my mushroom wizard. <laughs> <laughs> all right dude yeah i wanted to ask you just before, while we're still on recording just you know it might be interesting for people anyway how's life out in bali you know like we haven't obviously like we met in in mexico and stuff it was super cool meeting you in in playa del carmen but like haven't kind of kept up too much with aside from obviously the podcast and stuff like with what life's like over there so like how's life in bali you stay in there long term like what's going on bali's amazing bali's home for me now i really feel connected to this land it's an amazing place to grow because the people that come to Bali 
if they're not tourists, like just expats who want to live here, they all come with the intention of working on themselves, whether it's working on mm-hmm. their business, working on their spirit, working on their mind. And so the quality of the people here is incredible. Like every time I go out and meet new people, they inspire me constantly. So I, I feel like for me, it's been an amazing place to grow and to build the podcast and to step into the greater version of myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, you know, the ocean is beautiful. The weather is wonderful. Great food. A lot of convenience. Like uh, they have this thing called Gojek, you know, where it's like kind of like Uber Eats, yeah. but it's yeah, like yeah. next level. It's next level. So you yeah, can order think- anything through your phone and uh, everyone drives a little scooter, which I find to be so, so much more efficient than a car and so fun. It's great. Yeah. And you got a scooter? I got a scooter. Got yeah. Nice. Yeah. Well, when I first came to Bali, I didn't, I, I just used the Gojek scooters. So I didn't, I was too scared to go one on one on my own. And then three months later, I'm like, okay, it's time. It's time I learned yeah. this. Oh, and then I never looked at that. Yeah, it's part of the life out there. This is one of the great things about Asia. I mean, it's a shame here in Mexico because here there's just not really like a motorbike scooter culture. Um, but all over Asia, it's like a scooter motorbike culture, you know, like most of the things on the road is them. And, you know, you have cars as well, but like, it's so easy. You just nip around everywhere. You can just park it wherever you want. It's, it's great. Yeah. I'm going to start the 1 billion scooters mission to replace all cars with scooters. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, you see, I, 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 in this conversation, I've been the mother ayahuasca for you, like just planting that <laughs> seed the whole way, just waiting for you to take that. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Um, are you in Changu? I'm in Changu. Yeah. Changu, cool, yeah. Great Have place. you been? Great place. Yeah, I've been to I've been to Changu. Um, yeah, I, I've been actually twice to Changu. I've been once to Ubud as well. Uh, but yeah, I love it. Like Bali's awesome. I mean, Asia's just amazing in general. But like, yeah, Bali's Bali's pretty special too. What about you, man? How about how's your environment, and how do you feel about where you are now? And are you going to stay there for a long time? Or for now, I think. Like for now, Mexico feels like home to me, right? Like I've 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 got my residency now. I'm actually extending it literally like next week, and gonna have like a, a three or four year. I think it'll be residency. So like you know, I basically I'm you know pretty much once you've got that, you don't really have to worry about it for a while. You just feel like you just live here, and um, yeah, it's awesome. Like I still really like uh, Mexico. I mean, for me, the big draw of Mexico was really just that there's a lot of like freedom seekers who come here you know, and, um, Mexico really stood itself apart from a lot of other places in the world. It wasn't the only place, but it was one of the prime places that was like, we're just not going to do this tyranny thing. I mean, you know, Mexico just seems to have a, I don't know why, but it just seems to to have some kind of a defense against, against that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's, it's massive. It's huge. I love the climate and stuff like that. But, you know, for me, I would say like Asia still has a special, magic mm-hmm. to it in my view you know more so than than mexico you know mexico is great in like lots of other ways um but i still think that there's something about asia that is like particularly special so i do want to want to go back there but i'm not sure whether i'd want to necessarily live in 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 asia long long term what i you know one of the things i like about mexico is it's, it's a bit less of a kind of cultural jump you know people like the language is like learnable you know i'm learning it now and it's it's not kind of you know, trying to learn Thai or trying to learn, you know, Vietnamese would be much more of a hurdle. And I think that you can assimilate uh, a bit easier as a foreigner here as well. I think that it's, you know, it's 
generally in Asia, people tend to live in the expat communities and that's where you'll stay. You know, you're not going to necessarily go and go and live like amongst the locals. You'd, you'd kind of be a bit of a sore thumb, I think, in Asia. So it has that. And in those respects, Mexico is like, is, is better. So it's difficult to compare the two, you know, like I know that I'm comparing them right now, but I would say right now Mexico feels right. It's a really awesome place. I love it. I'm having a, you know, I'm having a good life here and I feel like I've had a lot of synchronicity kind of coming back in my life since coming here. So I definitely think that I made the right choice coming, whether I'll be here forever. I don't know, but you know, it'd be nice at some point in my life. I would like to, to come back, um, to, to Asia. Like I really want to bring my girlfriend as well to Asia and I want her to experience Asia, you know, and, uh, maybe if we go back to Asia at some point, we'll be like, ah, this is, this is the life out here. But for now, you know, Mexico's, Mexico's where I feel at home. And first you got to do ayahuasca and then you can come to Asia. <laughs> so you can't do it in Asia. It's not, a, it's not much of a thing out there. I or? think you can, there's, there are some people who do it underground here. Um, but for me, I just feel like that, land where you are now i think it's it's the perfect environment it's the place okay yeah all right yeah maybe yeah i i gotta i gotta think more about this but first it's gonna be first it's gonna be first it's gonna be mushrooms so uh yeah we'll see how that goes oh dude this has been awesome yeah we almost did do two hours in the end um i did say i think this was gonna be my longest episode before we started speaking and i'm pretty sure it has been so yeah thanks for given me so much of your time and it's been awesome like catching up and stuff as well yeah johnny thank you so much for for having me on for letting me talk about my mission and for letting me talk about psychedelics for for two hours i mean there's totally more than yeah i mean (laughs) what's better what's better than that so yeah i guess uh just the final thing before we sign things off just if you want to just let my audience know like where they can find you, all of your channels, where they can find the podcast, the mission, all the rest of it. And also just any kind of like final parting thoughts that you got as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So people can find me on jameszander.com. You'll see all the links to the podcast there. And the 1 billion humans mission is at 1 billion humans.com. So anyone who feels resonance with that mission i would absolutely love it if you could join us it's just a simple email link there's nothing you know no spam uh and then we'll announce when the next trip is going to be and um final parting thoughts Hmm. step into your courage i would say for anyone listening who feels a little bit scared to do something but they know they want to do it whether it's a YouTube channel or to do something creative or to ask someone out on a date, anything that you feel scared to do, but you know it's going to serve you, lean into it, pluck up the courage and watch your life transform. Thanks, James. It's been awesome. Thank you, Johnny. <laughs>